Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Morning everybody and welcome back to Scattered. Uh, We are here today, all four of us. Hooray! Uh, and uh, we are going to be studying 1 Timothy um, this term. So, uh, but first let's have a little catch up. So uh, I am in the same room as Jill, again, back in the UK. Uh, I am stuck in the UK again, thanks to, this time thanks to political issues on the African continent so that's me. How about you, Mary? How's your summer been? Yeah, good. Back to the UK for a few months, two and a half months, which was wild and great and tiring. And then back to Pakistan and we've moved house since we got back. So we've been back about a month. So just kind of settling into a new area. We've also been in the UK for um, a couple of months and now we're back in East Asia Unpacking. I'm sad that we didn't make it work to all get together. I think we missed each other, all of us being together by about a few days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was sad. I, I think the thing I reflected on this summer, watching you guys all be in the UK for various amounts of time, was just how much travelling and like coming home for a period of time is just quite rough on families because you, you can't be in one place. You know, there's so many people you have to see that... Yeah, I think some of you got into double digits of the amount of moves you did in a two-month period with children. And, yeah, I like, hats off, guys. I, I watched that and thought, that's so hard. But I don't know how we can fix that or how we can make that better. Maybe a discussion for another time. <laughs> yeah, so thanks, guys. We are looking at 1 Timothy uh, this term, like I said. Uh, and the theme of this book is generally that um, the gospel leads to practical, visible change in the lives of those who believe it. So there's loads of different aspects to that, but that's the sort of uh, overarching theme. Uh, So could somebody, so today we're just looking at verses one to 11. Uh, Could somebody give us a little summary of that section, please? We didn't agree who would do this before. But could somebody do Mary's little sweat? Good to go. Mary looks enthusiastic. So 1 Timothy is a letter from Paul to Timothy and kind of Timothy in the context of the church at Ephesus. So this letter may have been read aloud to all of them, but it was definitely specifically to Timothy. Timothy is kind of Paul's uh, protege. He's been teaching him for several years. He knew him from like right at the beginning of his faith walk and Timothy is in leadership of this church in Ephesus Um, and so we see kind of this introduction verses one to two is like a little introduction like Paul does at the beginning of his letters three to kind of seven is the issue that uh, Paul is writing about so often when Paul writes letters something is going on um, that needs dealing with so we kind of get into that issue a bit and how Paul is trying to help Timothy with that issue. Um, And then kind of verses 8 to 11 is a little bit more about um, the law. So what is the law for? Um, I guess it's kind of backing up what he's saying in the previous verses. Um, 
and yeah what what is sound doctrine and why is it important in a church um so yeah that's a kind of summary of this little bit yeah and if i was leading a bible study on this section that's kind of how i'd break it down like verses one and two would be the 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 greetings the salutation bit then i would do uh verses three to seven uh which the esv calls the charge to deal with false teachers and then that last little section eight to eleven um the proper use of the law i don't know if anyone else has any other ideas about how they would structure a study around it no no, I concur. Although I was quite interested to hear, sorry, this, I'm going to do what, the, actually the last little section, Paul digresses. So it doesn't, it's not really part of his argument. He just has a little digression to talk about the law, which I'm doing right now. And I'm digressing from Helen's plan by talking about that. But I found that quite encouraging because sometimes we can't always quite work out his train of thought. And this preacher was saying, quite often Paul has little digressions and just talks about something that is important to him. And so the law is his little digression at the end of this passage. So I guess I'd say if you're trying to lead a study, you don't need to exercise your brain massively to work out the link between the last part of the section and the middle part, because it might be just that Paul digresses a little bit. Great. Thanks. So let's dive in in that first little bit versus one and two so um guys how does Paul describe himself and Timothy and what was there anything that struck you about these verses because we so often just sort of gloss over the the greeting and the salutations don't we but what did you guys notice about it yeah so Paul gives us quite a formal introduction and this self-description like Timothy obviously knows who he is but it seems like it's also for the purpose of telling the churches that this comes with Paul's authority and it's his instruction for Timothy but it's also his instruction for the churches to hear and so it's really like yeah a helpful description of who his authority comes from his authority comes from God and that he is an apostle which is quite a special title to have and he calls timothy his true child in faith doesn't he which like i kind of mentioned before reflects back to his long walk with timothy so far like this isn't the letter out of the blue for timothy this is a part of a long discipleship process um i mean paul knew timothy's mother and grandmother i think um and it's like yeah so I think that's helpful to give that context for the whole book. This isn't just a kind of um, teacher kind of student relationship. This is a really close walk that these guys have had. Yeah, I find it helpful as well, just thinking a little bit about Timothy and who he was. Um, um, the, th the thing I was reading was saying how it's really helpful for us because often we, and this isn't exactly true, but Paul's this super spiritual, brave, fearless apostle but actually Timothy's we can relate to Timothy a lot more in some ways because he's young um he's quite shy and timid we see that in 2 Corinthians where Paul encourages him not to be um afraid and also he's a little bit weak in that he's got some um stomach issues he's not fighting fit all the time and so the contrast between Paul and Timothy as this yeah, the guy that's frail and 
is it wouldn't necessarily be your first choice as an alpha male to lead a church is really helpful for us, isn't it? Because as we see in this letter, there's hard things Paul's encouraging Timothy to do, but he understands Timothy and he knows Timothy really well. Um, the other thing that I saw was that the fact that he calls him his child might be a reference to the fact that Timothy was from a mixed marriage and so wouldn't his mother was Jewish, but he would his father wasn't, and so he was seen as illegitimate. And so actually, um, Paul's trying to point out that as a Christian, it's our faith relationships that define us, and those are more important than our parentage. So yeah, I thought that was a lovely thing as well to say actually we're united in faith and that's the stronger bond than the bonds of blood. I hadn't seen that. That's that's nice. Um I actually mean that. That sounds so sarcastic, doesn't it? <laughs> Thanks, Jill. That's, that's nice, Jill. Sit down in the corner now. <laughs> uh, the thing that I found really interesting was that Timothy says grace mercy not timothy sorry paul says grace mercy and peace in that last little section in verse two because you don't often hear him say mercy he often says grace and peace to you from etc etc but the fact that he had mercy i didn't know i just felt like maybe timothy he it was recognizing that timothy was in a really difficult situation in ephesus this is clearly not a, a new conversation for them, is it? Because he says, you know, as I said to you before I went into Macedonia. And so <clears throat> I just felt like it was, yeah, I felt like it was really pastoral of Paul just to say, mercy, mercy be upon you. Because, yeah, it can't have been easy being young and trying to corral this this church in Ephesus, knowing that Ephesus is such a crazy place. Yeah, I found the mercy very encouraging because it's almost a leveller. Um, because it's a recognition that he's in need of forgiveness. That's when it's actually within God's right to punish. And so it's really like, not just for Timothy hearing that, but for also for the church, when there's been so much sin and um, outward sin, maybe, and that people actually recognize, actually, we are all in need of forgiveness and that mercy from God. Yeah. Okay, uh, verses three to seven, the next little section. What is the, what's the problem, what's going on? And what does Paul want um, Timothy to do about it? I wanted to just highlight, like, before we come to the issue, I think it's interesting that he is urging uh, Timothy to remain at Ephesus, uh, just in the light of what we have already heard about Timothy um yes yeah, and the situation that he's in it's tough and um Paul is urging him to stay and yeah that must have been really hard for Timothy I guess to yeah, it would have been easy for him to go on somewhere else and just leave the mess but he's he's like no stay because there's this stuff happening and I need you there I need you there to to teach the truth amongst because we can see can't we in Verses three and four, um, there are different doctrines being taught. Um, people are devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies, um, which pr promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that's by faith. So there's kind of this, um, there are false teachers basically rising up and drawing people away from what is true. 
I found it helpful just to uh, look up the word doctrine because from what I found, it's <laughs> just the essentials of what we believe, the truth that we hold to. And so actually, yeah, it's interesting because he's saying that there are these essentials which um, that we need to teach and we shouldn't teach anything else apart from that. Um, and he gives the, the things that they are teaching, that they're teaching these um, fables and endless genealogies and shows that actually the outcome of teaching these other things, that it actually causes disputes rather than if you're teaching the actual doctrine, it gives godly edification. Yeah. I find that really helpful, that whole fact that... Um, actually uh, a love that is pure and from a good conscience and a sincere heart doesn't because I, I just think doctrine's not very rock and roll is it like we don't think it's very cool to be concerned with doctrine and but we are really drawn towards love and we really love the idea of a church that's full of love and feels great but this section's so helpful isn't it in seeing that those things you can't have one without the other and if you're not very clear on your doctrine and you're not helpfully laying out for people week after week um, the truths of who God is and how Jesus saves us and how we live in response to that, then the result isn't love. And those things are necessary for love to flourish. And yeah, I found that really helpful when my heart's drawn to more touchy-feely things sometimes, but I thought this section's so helpful in Paul saying, if you're drawn to things that aren't the essential doctrine of how we're saved, the danger is you're divided and the church is in a mess. Whereas teaching clearly who God is and what he's done brings love and unity and is essential for churches to function well. I think it's worth mentioning, though, that also sound doctrine, like it should lead to love and faith, but also it can be contentious can't it when it's applied with pride and hard-heartedness I think over the years I've definitely especially as a, a young Christian I've been so into my doctrine and so black and white about it um yeah I think sometimes are uh, very hard on, on doctrine it can actually lead us away from love because we become judgmental we become prideful um we yeah, so I think there's a there's definitely a balance, isn't there, in there, of like uh, loving doc good doctrine and loving the truth, but not then damaging other people and not being loving to other people in that desire to be in the truth. Like, when does our desire to be right become damaging to other people? Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? But it's interesting here that the purpose of doctrine is we don't end with well, the purpose is good doctrine, the purpose is love. And so knowing yeah. God better enables us to love better, love God and love others rightly. And so, yeah, I think the problem comes when we think the end point is, oh, well, the, the right doctrine. But actually knowing God, which is what doctrine is, leads us, doesn't it, to love him and love others um, in those ways from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. And but there's no shortcut to that. If we don't know God well, we can't love others well. Yeah, the thing that struck me about all of this, where he's warning against um, 
the false teachers and the false doctrine is that actually I was reading one thing that said that actually the myths and genealogies have come from the Bible or from the scriptures. It's not like these teachers that are in the church have come up with um, stuff from outside of that, but they're using the, the myths and the genealogies from scripture and have changed the message of that. And that's what's excuse me causing the problems in the in the church in Ephesus and I thought wow how you know how much of that is like there are some things aren't there that are really obvious when we hear teaching when we hear doctrine being taught that are really obviously not biblical but actually there's quite a lot that is it's quite hard to discern what is good doctrine what is not um, I'm just wondering how you guys, I mean, it's slightly more difficult for Jill, I would say, being because she, her husband actually like leads a church. But what about, yeah, how can we discern what is good doctrine, what's sound doctrine, what's completely wrong? Um, I'm thinking especially of people who are maybe looking for a church or are sitting in a church and going, I'm not sure if this is right or not. How How do you guys think we could go about that? Well, I think one thing that um, Mary just started on was actually you can tell from someone's character um, that if they are living, you know, if they are standing there judging everyone, then probably they haven't grasped the gospel for themselves. And that actually the, the true response of learning this good doctrine is this pure heart, good conscience and sincere faith. And so... Um, you can kind of that take this takes a while to to know i feel like um but as you get to know uh leaders then you can actually see if these things are true and um that actually they're doing both teaching the right doctrine which is from the word of god but actually that they're living it out in their lives and it produces this fruit yeah, and I guess I would say when we go into churches, is the doctrine's not the end point, is it? Doctrine's there to help us love God and to see Him for who He is and to love others. And so, a good church would be not just obsessed with doctrine, but wanting us to understand God so we can love Him and so we can live differently. And so, I guess that would be another test, wouldn't it, of looking at how the church functions and how love is shown among the church because I guess that's part of the problem here in Ephesus isn't it that love isn't um being exercised within the church because these other things are becoming obsessions within the church which are being divisive um yeah Mary thoughts I was just um reflecting on the fact that I would say a church that is dealing with the Bible as a whole and really trying to grapple with the whole Bible is a good thing to watch out for. Like, I feel like I have had an experience of um, church where, yeah, the, the kind of more palatable passages are dealt with and then other things are glazed over. Um, I would really, yeah, I really appreciate churches that do a series on Amos um, and other tricky places in the Bible and are really grappling with it as a whole picture. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to grappling through 1 Timothy with you guys because obviously there's that slightly awkward chapter two 
about women in teaching. And I just think, isn't that good that we are grappling with that and we're seeking to discuss that and apply it to our lives? Like, yeah, I feel like sound doctrine is just really at, at its heart, trying to listen to what God is saying through the Bible and trying to um, really grapple with that and not just glaze over it. Yeah, and I think it's within that as well, like <coughs> earlier, sound doctrine leads to love. Mm -hmm. And so looking at um, relationships within the church and the effect, because in this passage here, this section here, Paul's really worried, isn't he, about the effect of the unsound doctrine, less so with the people doing it, much more with the effect on the church. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, yeah, and I think right doctrine, a good doctrine rightly applied leads to love. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, I think that's what, partly what Paul's trying to say here, isn't it? Um, we need to address two parts there. The, the, the lack of unity and love in the church. How do we do that? By ensuring that, partly we do that by ensuring that there is sound doctrine rightly applied. And I think also, just going back to the first two verses, the other thing that those two introductory verses show us is there needs to be um, a structure within the church and some authority to enable those things to flourish. And so, you know, Paul introduces himself as an apostle by the command of God um, to help Timothy see that there are safe structures that enable Timothy to do this hard job that he's going to do. And I think that's also true, isn't it? For love to flourish within church, there needs to be some authority structures, which again, we don't like very much today, but that enables love to flourish too when um, there's safe structures within the church that enable questions to be asked or um, uh, difficult things to be dealt with within a safe structure. And I think we see that in those first two verses here, that even right early on, there's... Um, an authority structure that Timothy is safe within um, and that, that enables him to do this hard job of trying to address this difficult issue in the church. Yeah. I thought it was, the, I thought it was interesting that in all of this, this little section, so often Paul in his letters does a little bit of thanksgiving, doesn't he? If you look at a lot of his other letters, he's like, I give thanks to my God for you, or you are endlessly, I always thank God in my prayers for you. And in this section, it's just not there. <laughs> he just doesn't thank God for the church in Ephesus. And I was like, man alive, it's a serious issue, isn't it? It's a serious issue. But isn't it sobering that in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is leaving Ephesus, he chart, you know, he has this really moving scene on the riverbank with the Ephesian elders, which we looked at in Acts 18 months ago. And he says that there's going to be um, false doctrine that enters the church. And so Paul's really realistic, isn't he, that this happens in churches. But um, some of my geeky reading, thank you, Hermione, says that it was only four years ago that that had happened. Um, and yet within four years there's been um, problems emerging and teaching that's not accurate has, has risen up within the church. So I think that that really wised me up that 
these things can happen quite quickly within churches, can't they? And just because our church is great now doesn't mean we can sit back and think, oh, we're fine. Our doctrine's great. We need to keep going, don't we, with making sure we're teaching the Bible well week after week because it doesn't take long for things to slip. Mm. So thanks, guys. Um, Now looking at verses 8 to 11, Paul's little digression. Um, What does he say about the law, who it does and doesn't apply to? Talk to me about what Paul says. I don't know that it, I don't, I was interested in your point about it being a digression, Jill, because I'd thought that it was linked to the bit before because of verse seven, uh, where it talks about them desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding what they are saying or the things about which they make competent assertions. So I just wondered if he's linking to that. Um, and then he's saying, you know, the law is good, but it's not meant to just make us legalists actually to show people their need of a savior yeah good everybody else agrees i'm in the minority that's good yeah that's a good link mary then and you've proved it from the passage so that, that that i'll take that yeah i know sometimes paul does go off on a diversion but i wasn't i wasn't sure about that one i don't know i get i guess it's just quite a it's quite a long set like yeah he goes on quite a while about the law and it feels like we get into a discussion about the purpose of the law which it, you're right, it is linked, but um, he it's like he gets on a little hobby horse and goes hard <laughs> on law issues. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit that he's trying to draw out that, you know, the two sections of um, the law, which they would have understood to me, the Ten Commandments, and he's referencing the first part of the law is to love God and the second six commandments are the way that we love others and so I see there's that split there isn't there in that section I think the most helpful thing I read about it was just that actually linked to the love section above what we're supposed to sit under God's law aren't we um in a way that um evokes sort of humility and repentance in us and the danger there has been people have used the law wrongly as a as a stick to beat other people with rather than allowing themselves to sit under God's law and allow it to do its work in our own hearts and I think when when as a whole church we're allowing the law um to minister to our hearts that and bring humility and repentance then even God's law as hard as it is can be a unifying feature um within a church setting can we clarify what we're talking about when the law when we talk about the law any Hermione's out there if Juliet looked up doctrine she must have looked up law no I didn't (laughs) but um (laughs) I think the law is um is it the Levitical law I was I was um it's the legal structure in which uh the Jewish people were following and then it's also because you know, the Christian faith comes from the Jewish faith. Um, the law is taken as well. I think some people think that when Jesus comes, was just scrapped, but actually, many times Paul says that actually the law is good because it convicts us of our sin and we need it to understand the gospel of God. Yeah, I. 
everything I read referred to the law as the Mosaic law. Um, so the law given to Moses, not necessarily just the Ten Commandments, but everything else that flowed from that. Um, yeah, I think sometimes, just jumping off the back of what was just said, that we, in these days, we see the law as a bad thing. But actually, the law was a gracious gift of God to Israel. Um, and I think, you know, it. the Bible effectively says it's not it's not a means to righteousness with god like it's not a way of justifying you can't justify yourself through the law but it is a way of showing you your deep spiritual need and so to turn it uh, to turn the law um into something to beat people with is actually completely against what the bible says the law is for um it's not for punishment it's for showing you your deep spiritual need. Yeah, and I guess it shows us how to love. Like it, it, it like here, I think Paul is saying, you know, it's it's not I don't think he's saying it's completely therefore irrelevant to Christians. Um, like it is meant to show us how we fall short and therefore how we need a savior, but then how we can walk in that redemption that we've been given. Um and in the same way as, yeah, we, we could easily say doctrine, good doctrine, this is how you become, this is how you should be as a Christian, you need to have good doctrine and that's the way to God. Like, I think it's it's similar to the law. Like, if you, if you keep all the commandments and you're a very good person, then that's how to be with God. And I guess Paul, the big picture is saying it's all about love. Like, Jesus sums up the law by saying love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and strength or something like that and love your neighbour as yourself. Um, and it's the same with doctrine, isn't it? The, the aim of doctrine is for us to be able to love well, love God well and to love people around us well. Yeah, I think it's clear to say in Paul's mind that sound doctrine and right conduct are really connected because sound doctrine is what you think is right and then how you live is what he's talking about and this right conduct like we all fall short isn't it so it's not a list that is for us to use to condemn other people but it's a list so that we look in the mirror and see ourselves and realize that we need a savior in in my version it says um it starts with but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully and so i think that that's really helpful because it says in itself that actually it is good and um it isn't made for the righteous person who lives perfectly and i think everyone even if you are a believer um we have this fight within us and so it's made for us to show us uh, that we're not blameless yet we haven't seen Christ and we're not in our new bodies before him. And so, yeah, this is re really relevant for us. Even though we are made righteous, I feel like this is a sanctification process, isn't it? And I, I guess some of the most genuine love comes from humble people, doesn't it, that can admit their own need. And so I think the law humbles us and therefore it does aid our love because it enables us to love others and to bear with others and to um, not judge them. And I think this this is really key for if you're finding a church as well, that a pastor that knows their own weakness and 
can bear it before you is a really beautiful thing because just as you'll be walking with this battle trying to be more like god that knowing that your pastor is also going through that is um a real encouragement and one that can they're going through it and you're going through it with them really helpful thing about having another family living in our house because the pastor in this house has his sin laid out before him on a regular basis <laughs> um just yeah it's it's really helpful and there's you know there's not just me pointing out the pastor's sin there's you know two she's other, got backup two other adults that are helping him wrestle with it and own it and grow so yeah Amen. I would, I would argue it's not just the pastor who's going through that. I would I would argue that all people in the house are going through that. But yeah, um, <clears throat> we then don't we have this long list in uh, verses nine and ten about things that um, Paul says is contrary quote to sound doctrine. Um, we're not we're not going to get into it now. Um, but uh, a lot of these things were relevant then and they are still relevant now um, as we wrestle together as churches. What is sound doctrine? Um, what can the church condone or allow? And what can it not? Um, it's not an easy subject. And um, I'm afraid we're not going to offer you any help as you listen to this. Uh, there are greater and wiser theologians <laughs> I guess apart from to say that list is pretty closely linked to the second, the, the last six commandments. Yeah. And so I think that's the helpful place to point people. It's not a random list that Paul's drawn up from his head of his particular annoyances. They are all linked to those, the six commandments that are looking at different areas of sin. Thanks guys. Um, Anything else that you want to talk about from the passage? Big takeaways, things that really uh, impacted you? I guess I, I felt like this passage really helpfully sets up the whole book for me. And so I just really enjoyed that link that what we know in our minds affects how we live. They're not separate things. We're not, we, we do and we act out of who we think God is and what we think life's about. And I just think Paul does a really good job in this section of, explaining that to Timothy because he's obviously having to encourage Timothy really hard isn't it to deal with a really difficult issue in the church um but it's worth doing because it affects what we think about God affects everything about how we live and I think we're going to see that played out in all <coughs> sections of the letter but I found it a really helpful like set for my heart that it does matter how we see God and who we understand God to be because we can't live well without knowing God well. And I just think just the verse that we ended on, um, that in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And that is that is what can bring us righteousness. So though the law could not do that and convicts us of sin and shows us that we are not right before God. The gospel, the glorious gospel of God can. And yeah, it's just what a encouragement to us when we fall short, when we, um, yeah, mess up like we will do on a daily basis. We can know that as we, you know, 
we're encouraged by verse 2, Paul using the word mercy again, that again reminds us of his forgiveness towards us when we don't deserve it. And yeah, incredible. Great. Thanks, guys. Uh, we will be back with you next week for the next section of 1 Timothy. Bye. Bye. Bye.